Listen and follow the Left Wing Rugby podcast with me, Will Slattery and Luke Fitzgerald. As far as I can see, I always want to get in the Irish team. And that should be every young player's dream and ambition in this country. And if you're playing in a place where you're not going to get the opportunities in the big games, that they're the ones that get you picked. They are the ones, the Champions Cup games are the ones that get you picked. You need to be playing in a team and starting in a team for those games. It's as simple as that if you want to play in the Irish team. Every week on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This is an Irish independent podcast. Leia Healthcare, looking after you always. Proud sponsors of Real Health with Carl Henry. Hello and welcome to Real Health with me, Carl Henry, in association with Leia Healthcare. Folks, how much do you know about the relationship between our brains and our gut? While many of us think we decide when and how much we eat, research is now telling us that our brains have far more control over our eating than we might realise. So, what does this mean for our understanding of obesity? What treatment is the best for those with the disease? Well, this week, I'm delighted to be joined by Karel LaRue, an expert in metabolic medicine and an obesity specialist from University College Dublin. Karel, welcome to the show. Thank you. A fascinating topic. I'm really interested in chatting about this one. The brain, the gut, it's all linked together. Right. And, you know, and so what every one of us know is when you're hungry and you drink two liters of water, you'll be quite bloated. But about a half an hour later, you'll be just as hungry as you were before you started. But if you drink two liters of full fat milk, you'll be satisfied for four or five hours. So somehow the gut is sending a signal to the brain that tells the brain exactly how many calories you've consumed. So it's not the volume, the two liters of water, the two liters of milk, same volume, but it's the amount of energy inside. So the gut is sending this signal and now we need to work out how that does it, but also why it is in some people that the signal isn't strong enough. And do we think that's down to, is that hormone regulation? Is that genetics uh, profiling? Or, you know, what, what do we know? Do we have any idea of what differentiates one person's response to another? Yeah. So the gut is more than seven meters long. So if you imagine taking the seven biggest steps that you can take, that's how long your gut is. And of course, different parts are doing different things, but ultimately it's unlikely to be one signal. So we can see the hormones playing together with the nerves, playing together with bile acids, and even the small little bugs that live inside our gut, the microbiota, they all send a signal. So the entire organ of the gut is effectively geared to send a signal to the brain. And that's what it does in multiple ways. Amazing. Within two minutes, you've already given loads of content to people, but also reassurance to people that we're not all the same. Different people have different reactions to volumes of food or volumes of presumably protein and then the nutrients within that food that we all react differently. And that's a very important message because ultimately, People are beating themselves up. They think, for example, if they have the disease of obesity, they have done something wrong. Why is it when they eat food that it takes a lot of energy before they feel full? But when they look at their friend or colleague, they actually only eat a small amount and they feel satisfied. Now we understand that it's the gut that sends the signal and this signal isn't strong enough in people who have the disease of obesity. So once we understand the problem, we can fix 
fix it. So now we can make the gut send stronger signals either by different foods that we eat or by using medication or even by using surgical treatments. Because ultimately what we want people to feel is normal. And that is what's possible now. And when we're actually hungry, that, that's a signal from our brain, isn't it? It all begins in the brain, which is hungry, eat food. And, you know, if you are below the weight that your body wants you to be, what happens is you're constantly thinking about food and you're constantly hungry. So any of your listeners that's ever been on a diet will tell you that they've never been as obsessed with food as when they were on a diet. And that is normal physiology. That's exactly what the brain needs to do. So if you are below the weight that the inside of the brain, the middle part of the brain wants you to be, it will make you think about food. You'll become obsessed with food. You can't walk past a cupboard without opening it. That is normal. So what we now need to do is change the brain so that the brain feels comfortable at a lower weight. And that is, again, what the modern treatments are allowing us to do, be it modern diets, modern medication or modern surgical treatments, is patients just come back and they say, I feel normal. For the first time, I'm not obsessed with food. I'm not waking up in the morning thinking, what am I going to have for breakfast? What am I going to have for lunch? You just think, you know, I'm going to just get through my day and actually be successful today. Okay, and with, you know, a couple of weeks back we chatted, chatted with Helen Heenan around the surgical components of it. Chat to me more about that. This was the but the the medical components of it, but also the dietary component. Presumably, dietary is to do with the types of food that we eat, having more protein with your meals, or or, or maybe not. So you're correct to say right in the beginning that everybody is different, and unfortunately for us as doctors, we can't predict what treatment is going to work for the individual. So sometimes you can use diet A and it's amazing for a person, but the same person will not have any response to diet B or medications are the same or surgery for that matter. So what we need to do is what we call modern personalized medicine. This idea of getting the right treatment to the right patient at the right time. Now that's difficult because we don't have a blood test or a questionnaire that can tell me what is going to work for you. But what we do have now is really good diet approaches, good medications and good surgical treatments that we can start wherever the patient wants us to start. So say, for example, you would like to start with a diet. That's a perfectly reasonable place. But I can tell within three months if this diet works for you. And the way we know that it works is simply you'll come back after three months and you'll say, this has been so easy because, you know, I'm not hungry. When I eat, I feel full. I'm eating the food I really enjoy. It's very simple for me to do. And again, just coming back to this idea, I just feel normal. Then I know it's working. However, if you come back to me and you say, you know, I've taken this diet, I've done the best, I've written it down, I've done my steps, you know, I'm really focused on it. At that point, I know it's not working because it's not easy and therefore it's not sustainable. So, you know, I don't really care what you're going to weigh in the next three months. What I care about is what are you going to weigh in the next three years or 10 years from now? Because that is what we need if we're going to treat the disease of obesity appropriately. And chat to me about fullness then. So it's not the, you know, you eat your food, is it the brain presumably sends a signal to the body to say, okay, enough is enough. 
Yeah, so the brain knows exactly how much energy you need to maintain your weight and specifically the amount of fat cells that we carry. Now, we need to carry fat cells. It's really important for health. And if you don't have any fat, you'll actually be incredibly sick. Right. But the brain knows exactly how much energy it needs to take in to maintain your health. Uh, and once you've reached that amount of food, then suddenly the brain will just say, look, I'm not interested anymore. I've had enough. So a great example is if you look at small kids, you know, if you've got a two-year-old nephew or niece or, you know, two-year-old of your own, you will know that some days they will eat like horses. You know, they'll just consume anything. And other days they'll be completely uninterested in food. And that is because their brains and the way that their brain regulates, um, you know, their body weight is perfectly controlled. So now um, when they've had enough, They've had enough. And you know there's nothing you can do to coerce them into eating. And that just allows us to understand how powerful the brain is. Now, of course, as we grow older, we are eating for different reasons. It's more social, you know, and hence, you know, some of those we can overrule. Right? But um, again, that still maintains in the long term. And that's why some people can eat whatever they want, don't put on any weight, because they eat smaller amounts of it and they just stop earlier because they feel satisfied. And people who have obesity then, mm. so, and who will, who overeat, is that as, as a result of the brain just not get, the person not being able to, 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 to get that messaging from the brain? Or is there external factors, you know, distracted eating and, and all, all of those kind of things? So if you think about how you regulate the temperature inside your house, you know, you think about, you know, your temperature inside the house is controlled by the energy in and the energy out. You know, so how, you know, your boiler is working, for example, and how good your double glazing is or how many windows are open. And so, therefore, if you want to increase the temperature in your house, the idea would be is you close all the windows and you turn the boiler up, right? Or if you want to decrease the temperature, you would open the windows and you turn the boiler down. That's quite a cumbersome way. And actually, none of us do that because all that we do if we want to increase the temperature inside our house is we just increase the thermostat. You go somewhere in my house, it's in the kitchen, and I just turn it up. I said, I would like my house to be 25 degrees Celsius instead of 20 degrees Celsius. And this is the way you need to think about the brain. So we now understand that obesity is not about energy in or energy out. That's the old way of thinking about it. And that way hasn't helped us much. Um, but now we understand that the brain is like the thermostat. And therefore, if your thermostat is set at 25 Celsius, then your boiler is going to work much harder and you're going to take much more energy in. But if we can turn your thermostat down so it only operates at 20 degrees Celsius, now your boiler doesn't have to work so hard. So therefore, you're not eating as much. So thinking about it in another way, in the old days, we thought that overeating caused obesity. And therefore, we really tried to help people to eat less. That did not work. Now we understand that the disease of obesity makes people overeat. So if we treat the disease, what happens is people naturally eat less food. And that is why it is so simple and straightforward for them. Folks, you listen to Real Health with me, Carl Henry, in association with Leia Healthcare. A fascinating chat so far. I love chatting about it. I'll chat obesity all day long. I'm fascinated by it. I'm intrigued by it. I love the, 
I love the fact that the world around it is changing, which I think is so important from a science perspective and to get the message out to, there to the public and, and that we're seeing the, between the, the, the role between the brain and the gut. People would always ask, so it's important to ask it when chatting about obesity, is willpower then? Because obviously mm. people who have obesity, there is a perception that potentially they have less willpower than, than someone else. That's not necessarily the case. You're correct. And, you know, this idea is not a new idea. If you go back to the seven mortal sins, you will remember that one of them is gluttony and the other one is sloth. And of course, the definition of sin is that it is a willful act. So certainly from a European psyche point of view, since the Middle Ages, we have been thinking that obesity, gluttony and sloth, you know, are willful acts. And hence, what we need to do is just try a little bit harder. That's why people have been told, you know, all you have to do is eat less and move more. So if that was successful, we wouldn't have the disease of obesity or the epidemic of obesity today, because now we understand that it's governed by the middle part of the brain, the same part of the brain that controls your body temperature or the same part of the brain that controls your thirst. And therefore, it's not under volitional control. You and I cannot think ourselves less hungry or you can't think yourself more satisfied. You can decide not to put the food in your mouth, but if you do that, you'll just become more hungry. And if you also think about it, you know, what would happen if you have the disease of obesity and you eat less? What will happen is you'll become more hungry. What will happen if you have the disease of obesity and you exercise more, you'll become more hungry. Right. So therefore, those treatments of eat less and move more, if anything, made the disease worse. And that's why, you know, it didn't work. Now what we do is we give people good nutritional treatments, good exercise treatments, good medications or good surgical treatments, and we treat the disease. And suddenly it comes under control, it settles down, and therefore people can just get on with the rest of their lives without having to try very hard. Chat to me about the, med the medication component. So lots of stuff in the press over the course of the last couple of months. Tell us more about what is available and what they actually do. So the modern medications, what they did is they understood how the gut talks to the brain. So they took one of these hormones that are generated when you and I eat food and they just purified it and now are giving it back to people. So remember we said that the signal that comes from the gut to the brain isn't strong enough. So all they are doing is they're just boosting the signal. So now people just feel normal again. Um, now, these medications, because they mimic natural hormones, if you swallow it, the stomach acids will break it down. So that's why we have to give it as an injection under the skin, either once a day or once a week. And people inject themselves and it hurts about as much as staking your nail and scratching it on your skin. Um, but when we use these treatments, then what happens is every time a patient eats, they just feel more satisfied. And suddenly, they're not hungry two hours after they've had a meal. They can suddenly go between breakfast and lunch without, you know, having a snack. Or they can have their evening dinner and feel comfortable for the rest of the night and not open a packet of crisps or a bar of chocolate, you know, and consume the whole thing. Because they just feel satisfied. And now it only works in about one in every two people. 
And it's important to say it's not the smart people that listen to us where the treatments work or the people that don't listen to us where it doesn't work. You and I cannot predict if it's going to work and there's nothing you can do that's going to make the medication work better or less well. And, you know, even when we treat young children with these treatments or adolescents that actually don't listen to anything anybody says, you know, they have exactly the same responses and they lose exactly the same amount of weight. Now, important to say that these medications will not make people thin and these medications will not make people happy. What they will do is they will make them healthier and more functional. And of course, if you are healthy and functional, yes, your quality of life is better, but you're not particularly happier, right? And also, if you're healthy and more functional, you may not change what you see when you look in the mirror. So we are trying to differentiate two forms of, you know, patients that come to us. Some patients come to us because they have the disease of obesity and their focus is on the health gains and our focus as medical practitioners are how can we prevent them developing diabetes or how can I improve their risk of having heart attacks or how can I improve their ability to walk around the block or even to put their shoes and their socks on. Right? Those are people with obesity. Another group of people come to us and what they have is a cultural desire for thinness. Right? It's very reasonable. There's nothing wrong with it. But they are focused on actually changing what they see when they look in the mirror or thinking that if they lose one, two or three stone, somehow their problems are going to disappear. And it's unfortunate that treating patients with a cultural desire for thinness is neither very beneficial to them, nor does the risks of the medication, uh, they are not outweighed by the benefits. So we're always looking at where are the benefits to be achieved, and the benefit certainly is in those patients with the disease of obesity, where health gain is the objective. So the medication component is one, uh, it's, a, it's an enabler. Because you feel full quicker, it enables you to stabilize how you eat, which enables you to move better and increase the health gains that you can get. So it's one part of a bigger jigsaw. Right. As opposed to that magical solution that so many people look for. Well, I would suggest to you that if you take two people and the one responds to the medication, they can do exactly what they've always done. They can eat the same food that they've always eaten, but they'll just eat less of it. They can do the same amount of exercise they've always done, but when they do do any exercise or put their socks and their shoes on, they'll just move easier. Right? Or you can have another person that does not respond to the medication. And then what happens? Nothing. So if you don't respond, you don't lose any weight. You don't feel less hungry. You don't feel more full. So therefore, um, it, the same is true. So if people think that they need to do all these extra things for the medication to work, then all that happens when the medication doesn't work, they blame themselves. And they think, you know, I haven't tried hard enough. So what we're constantly trying to do is to shift the, the focus by saying it's not your fault. That does not mean it's not your responsibility. So it is my responsibility and your responsibility to find the right treatment that works for you. And when we found that treatment, and again, that could be a diet approach or medication or surgical treatments, but if we find a treatment, it's your responsibility to be compliant with the treatment. 
because lots of patients say to us, look, I, I don't mind taking an injection, you know, for the treatment of obesity, but when can I stop? And the answer is you can stop the moment you want the disease to relapse. So this is exactly the same as if you've had high blood pressure or high cholesterol or asthma. If you have asthma and we treat you with modern medication and we put your asthma completely under control, the minute you stop your medication, your asthma comes back. Right? Or the minute you stop your medication for high blood pressure, your blood pressure comes back. Now, obesity is exactly the same. We can't cure it. But what we can do now is we can control it. And it's important to say that all of us have to eat healthy and all of us have to exercise because eating healthy and exercising is good for you. It's good for the entire population. It's just that eating healthy and exercising does not make the medications work any better. Chat to me to, for a final question. Back, let's put it back to the gut health then. So, you know, we're open about the brain, the gut. For people to improve their gut health, so presumably, again, we've interviewed Tim Spector before, it's, it's the variations of food in your diet, getting as many different types of food in as you possibly can, trying to reduce stress levels, sleep, chewing your food. They're all ways to improve your gut health and that microbiome in the gut. That's right. And, you know, we now understand that the microbiome that lives inside the gut is almost like an extra organ we have. And what we understand is that people that are living with obesity have very different microbiota. They have different bugs that live inside their gut than people that do not have obesity. What we don't know yet is whether or not if we just change the microbiota, will it change the disease? Or in fact, is it the other way around? If we change the disease of obesity, does that change the microbiota? So it certainly shows us that if we take the microbiota from inside the gut in people who have obesity and we put it into mice that never have had any microbiota, that those mice will gain more weight than the mice, for example, that received the microbiota from people who do not have obesity. So that does tell us that the microbiota is playing an important role. But we now see that if we can allow people to lose 10, 15, 20% of their weight, and that's important because no longer do we think 5% weight loss is good enough. One stone weight loss is probably not going to make you healthier. If you have the disease of obesity, we genuinely need two stone or even three stone to actually make a difference because ultimately it's about how long you're going to live and how, bet, how good your quality of life is going to be. And that's called effect size. Now, changing the microbiota does not give us two or three stone weight loss, right, um, or for an individual. But changing the microbiota in the total population, that may reduce the population's risk of becoming sick. So there's two things. It's always about, you know, treating the individual and treating the population. And we need to do both. It's not either or, it's and also. Um, so that's really when we understand the role of these interventions. I could sit here all day. I love chatting with these. It's been fascinating. If people want to contact you or find out more about you, where can they find you? So uh, St. Vincent's um, University Hospital and St. Vincent's Private Hospital is where we practice. But the website is www 
itsnotyourfault.ie, and the Twitter handle is the same. Um, and that's important because we need to communicate the latest science because I'm funded by the taxpayer. Um, they are funding my research. And what we need to do is to allow people to understand the revolution that's coming, why it is that people don't have to sit at home and beat themselves up anymore, but all they have to do is ask for help. So we want to change the public health message away from eat less and move more to seek help. You know, just ask your general practitioner, ask your doctor to please help you and they will soon have the tools or they can refer you to people that have the tools that can help you to achieve a better quality of life in the long term. Karel Larue, thank you so much for coming in today. It's been great to catch up and a fascinating chat all around the brain, the gut and obesity. It's been great to catch up. Folks, that is it for another episode of Real Health with me, Carl Henry, in association with Leia Healthcare. You know where we are, at Carl Henry PT on Instagram, realhealthindependent.ie. And if you liked what you heard, don't forget to rate and review. We'll see you next week for more Real Health. It's long ago. Leia Healthcare, looking after you always. Proud sponsors of Real Health with Carl Henry.